It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 108, The Suffering of David and the Messianic Psalms As the rebellion picks up steam against David, it grows to such proportions that David must flee Jerusalem, and in his flight from Jerusalem in a two-mile stretch from Jerusalem proper to the Mount of Olives, we see the greatest suffering in David's life, and the impact of this dramatic and sad scene leaves such an impression on David that we see his most sad psalms and dedications And when these emotions through worship touch the heart of the one who will walk the same steps a thousand years later, we get glimpses of our coming Lord and the death that he will die for all mankind and the payment for all sin for all time upon the cross at Calvary. Last we heard from Absalom was that he went to Hebron and tricked others innocently into following him, and by going to Hebron and declaring he was king, he gained legitimacy in the sight of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah appears to rally behind Absalom, and David seems to be clueless or powerless or just numb to what is really going on. The rebellion continues to grow in great numbers, and Absalom gets the support of Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, and one of David's counselors to assist him in this rebellion. What happens next is that Absalom gains such strength in numbers, he scares David into evacuating Jerusalem, which is just weird to me, since David still has his guard, and every loyal, faithful, mighty man who could have just taken on an army alone. But I see this as instead a fulfillment of judgment and prophecy And David was powerless to do anything because God was creating a type and shadow of things to come. What happens is really the fulfillment of the judgment word that David received after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. From the ten concubines that had to be left behind to attend to the palace, really, to the violence that comes from his own house in the form of Absalom. So in the case of this scene, try to dismiss yourself from the practical questions like I try to do. Why not just put this miserable punk of a son in jail and train him in the right way and end this rebellion now? Well, you you can't ask this. I mean, you can. But if we mull this one over too much, we miss the real point here. That judgment was being fulfilled and David was mentally unable to react to it. Yet at the same time, We've got unbelievable messianic parallels and prophecies that seem to never end in this account, which we'll discuss many times over. Here's the account. 2 Samuel 15:13. A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all of his officials who were with them in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. 
The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. So what happens next is pretty pathetic and sad for David. But there are real traces of beautiful honor in it. For we see incredible loyalty to God's anointed David because he we can't forget this is the guy who showed faithfulness to Saul, God's anointed, even when his behavior became deranged. It's beautiful to see the honor that David receives. In the right sense here, what goes around comes around. David, a man of honor, cannot run from the honor of his faithful servants. Second Samuel fifteen sixteen, The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. All his men marched past him, along with all the Carathites and Pelathites, and all the six hundred Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. The king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner and exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today shall I make you wander about with us? When I do not know where I am going, go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. David said to Ittai, Go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all his men and the families that were with him. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. So this is just a picture of the many times over David tried to run off his faithful followers, but they refused like Ruth did with Naomi. All right, check this out. Verse 23 begins with the whole countryside. The actual Hebrew reads the earth or land or surface of the earth, or it could also imply the people of the land. So let's keep this in mind, especially when dramatic events refer to the land or places crying out. I mention this because it's going to happen again and again in this episode, or at least in the next one, in dramatic fashion. Another thing is that we cannot just write off this as dramatic language, for it was Jesus who said that even the stones would cry out, and Romans 8 declares all creation awaits for the sons of God to be revealed. So we see all through the Bible, during times of crisis and exaltation, there is a personification either representing the extreme in worship or mourning that even nature must participate. 2 Samuel fifteen twenty four, Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with them who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God, bring it back into the city. If I had favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back, and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Do you understand? Go back to the city with my blessing. Take your son Ahimehaz with you, and also Abiathar's son Jonathan. You and Abiathar return with your two sons. I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there.
So some of the Levites return with the ark to Jerusalem and function as David's eyes and ears and will eventually send him messages. Another point here is that David doesn't put his trust in the ark like previous leaders did. David put his trust in God. All right, so it's important to track our geography. David and his entourage leaves Jerusalem and goes through the Kidron Valley and ends up at the base of the Mount of Olives. And as you start to go up the Mount of Olives, this is the place of our future Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus spends his final moments with his disciples, where Peter and the crew falls asleep, and Jesus is betrayed by Judas's kiss. 2 Samuel 15.30 But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot, and all the people with him covered their heads too, and were weeping as they went up. Okay, so David and his men weep and cry as they ascend the Mount of Olives. Here's a bit about the Mount of Olives. Besides being two miles east of Jerusalem, there is over 150,000 graves on the mountaintop. It is believed by some to be the greatest burial ground on the planet for prophetic reasons. The reason is the belief that the Lord will return at the Mount of Olives. And with this, there is the understanding that it is here that the beginning of the resurrection of the dead occurs. The understanding is that those who are buried here will be the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. This is taken from Zechariah 14.4, and the Lord will return and the mount will be split in two. Looking ahead at the Mount of Olives, Solomon will later allow idol worship here, which Josiah will eventually destroy. In addition, Jesus will give the Olivet Discord from Matthew 24, which is a private meeting where Jesus talks about end times, which is appropriate because part of the end times will occur at this very mountaintop, this very mount where David is weeping and leaving his capital to his rebellious son. 2 Samuel 15.31 Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. All right, Ahithophel is a stud for a wise counselor. But God is greater than man's wisdom. What a prayer. Turn his wisdom into foolishness. And God immediately gives David the wisdom and a man to perform the act that turns his wisdom into foolishness. 2 Samuel 15.32 When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai, the archite, was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I'll be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priest Zadok and Abiathar be with you? Tell them anything you hear in the king's palace. Their two sons, Ahimeaz, son of Zadok, and Jonathan, son of Abiathar, are there with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So Hushai, David's confidant, arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. So David sends back Hushai to work with Zadok and Abiathar and their two sons in the capital as spies. Next episode, we'll see the workings of Hushai in the capital. From here, the sadness of David turns into persecution, and it gets ugly. And the only way to understand this is to really use your imagination, because the persecution and shouting and stoning had to have been terrible. Second Samuel 16, 
5. As King David approached Abiram, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were at David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? If he is cursing because the Lord said curse David, who can ask, why should he do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood, is trying to kill me. How much more this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessings instead of his curse today. This explains what's going on in David's mind on this road. He, like before, was willing to submit to the actions of the rebellion because it was God's judgment. I do like David's words, though. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessings instead of his curse today. 2 Samuel 16.13 So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. So this is where the scene gets really interesting. There is such a depression upon David and such an honor that they refused to disobey their king and kill this shimmy. It's quite incredible discipline to allow someone to throw stones at you. It's such an intense scene with someone screaming in your ear, reminding you of everything you've ever done wrong. Remind you of anyone? This shimmy represents the accuser of the brethren and the devil himself, spitting accusations and harm in David. I believe it is this involvement of this shimmy that sends this scene into prophetic proportions. Bruised by stones, broken by a shame and sin, David walked along refusing to take justice in his own hand. Though he could have called upon his personal guard, his guard, and his mighty men, the equivalent of legions, to rescue him, but he did not. David humbly carried his own cross, per se, his sin upon his own shoulders, as all the fields and countryside cried aloud and mourned with him. See the parallel? And it continues in the literary works and the impacts all the worshippers present. I see David settling down at a campfire after all the tears have settled, and as rumor abounds of the thousands that have left him for Absalom, and he writes the words of this heartfelt psalm. Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. 
I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Pretty intense, huh? Break the teeth of the wicked. I guess it just sounds way more cool than cut out the tongue of Shimei. So we'll end this account here and move forward into the rebellion in the next episode and the battles that follow and spend some more time discussing the suffering of David and the long-term effects and the prophetic psalms that come forth from this scene. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we've got to discuss the suffering servant David and what this scene does to David. By the way, looking through the Psalms of suffering, we get the feel David suffered from health problems during this time as well. I get the feel that David suffered mental, spiritual, and emotionally from the time of Bathsheba to the current, and this time of mourning impacted his psalm writing. Psalm 55, 4. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness, and I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Interesting. Check out this psalm. Psalm 38, a psalm of David, a petition. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your errors have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down low and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails within me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth cannot offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. Sounds like a man going through some wicked health problems. Or is David talking about another person in these Psalms? Well, he may be. Here's another one. Psalm 42, 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? One could assume David was going through more physically than we realize with searing back pain, mortal agony, festering wounds, and no health in his body, until we arrive at Psalm 22, and our entirety of understanding could possibly change. I see Psalm 22 written years after this awful march and event, that David, in a prophetic moment, remembering the sheer suffering of the moment and emotion of it, combined with his worship gift and prophetic access to the heart of God and the God above time and space, 
He wrote a psalm that was well beyond his physical understanding with deep insight into a future event. We end with the messianic prophetic Psalm 22, for in Psalm 22:18 it declares, "They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment." Whose garment? David's? No. Jesus's garment, as stated in Matthew 27:35, fulfilling the prophetic words of this psalm. After Jesus dies on the cross, the Roman soldiers who previously beat him causing searing back pain and mortal agony and festering wounds, put him on a pole, crucified him, and after he died, the Roman soldiers cast lots for his garment, just like Psalm 22.18 states. David, under divine inspiration, prophesied about the Messiah. Remembering the pain of his past and the emotion of the moment, he touched the heart of God in worship to not only to write a psalm, but to receive revelation of the coming King of kings and Lord of lords and the forgiveness of all sin for all time and our restoration with God himself. Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Who trust in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround many. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dry like a potshed, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord... Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. 
For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, prosperity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as the rebellion comes to a head in a conflict between the forces of Absalom and David. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.